Goodness, thank you so much, church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so kind. God bless you all. Please, please be seated. It is a great, great privilege to, uh, to be with you this morning, and thank you, Pastor Tim, for the video introduction. Uh, I have said in the first two services, and I want to let you know, I absolutely love your church. And uh, one of the reasons I love your church is because you're a great people. You do things with such excellence. But there are few pastors in the country that I love as much as I love Pastor Tim and Pastor Alicia and the team here. You guys are so blessed. Don't ever take for granted that church is like this uh, everywhere. This is a special place and uh, a great place to call home. Amen. I, uh, I have told Pastor Tim, and I've only shared this with a few other leaders, there are a few places that I could move my family and be a part of a church. This is one of them. We're perfectly placed right where we are, but this is the type of place that I could call home. You're uh, very fortunate and very blessed of God to be able to be part of a a great church. Uh, I met your pastor just a little over a year ago, and that actually surprises me because I feel like we've been lifelong friends. And I guess sometimes God is so good to just connect us with people, similar age, similar life experience, and we had an instant connection. Just the Jesus in me and the Jesus in Pastor Tim became buddies. And I so thank God for that. I had the privilege that same uh, night. It was at a conference at our church, uh, post-conference. We had a a dinner together, and I met Pastor Lee. And what a great leader he is. I tell you, your your church is full of of amazing leaders. I've had such a good time last night being hosted by Pastor Tony. And uh, this morning, again, with my good friend, Pastor John Bullington. Uh, And I I must say, I know I'm going to preach. But I just have to tell you, worship here is spectacular. I, I love to come here and worship. Instrumentally, vocally, uh, it is just so excellent. And uh, I come from a church where worship is done well. And, and I don't say that in an arrogant way, but the standard is pretty high for me. This is great worship. Pastor John has written uh, one of the most amazing songs, and I've got to get that somehow in a format I can put in my iPod. I'm going to be listening to that again and again. How many of you just celebrate today the fact that Jesus loves us? Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful new song? Uh, and so I thank God for the worship team. What a talented group and what a great thing for them to set me up so that all I have to do is just stand up now and speak. And God's with us already, right? Well, listen, if you're a guest and you don't have a church home, I want to make a recommendation. I say this would be a good place for you. So uh, do me a favor, and uh, I, I'm going to get to the message. I know you're wondering, is this guy ever going to preach? I promise I will. I promise. Pray for your pastor. Your pastor is away on a little mini vacation, and I just want to ask you to join me in praying that God will refresh him, that he and Alicia will just enjoy this, this, this time away, that they will be encouraged and refreshed and come back to you better than new. He is an excellent leader, and, uh, and I, one of the unique things about a lead pastor as compared to a guy like me that just travels around, I get to repeat messages. So if it doesn't offend you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a repeat this morning. I'm going to share with you one of my life messages, a message that I've shared two or three times prior to coming to you. But your pastor would tell you that Sunday comes around with alarming regularity. Yeah. 
And every week he has to have a fresh word from God. And I want to encourage you not only to pray for him while he's gone, but when he comes back, ask the Lord to refresh him and to speak to him and to make his daily time with the Lord as he's growing in his relationship with God something that would just spill over into your lives and help you too connect with Jesus in a more personal way. Good. If you have your Bible today, I want to ask you to turn to two passages. We're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at a few verses there. We're also going to close the message, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Philippians 4, Deuteronomy 30. Now we'll look at a number of scriptures, but I do want to highlight those uh, especially today. I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years this year, and in those 30 years, I've discovered something that actually puzzles me a little bit. And, and here's what I've discovered. Some of the most uh, uh, depressed, unfulfilled people on earth, the saddest people on earth are people who are Christians. Some of the saddest, most depressed, and unfulfilled people on earth are people who show up week after week, they go to church, they read their Bibles, they pray, they seemingly do all of the disciplines of the faith, but sadly, they live defeated and discouraged lives. And uh, um, as a result, they don't have the positive influence on their family members, co-workers, neighbors, and friends that they really do want to have. But the truth is they've not had the real breakthrough that they need in order to be able to be life-giving and influential toward others. Now, aren't you glad Pastor invited Mr. Encouragement from Texas to give you that report this morning? I promise it's going to get good. I think it's important from time to time to speak hard truth in love for us all to be made aware of something that could be true of our lives. So the message I'm going to share this morning is going to address this issue, and it could be that somebody sitting immediately in front of you needs to hear this message today. It could be the person right behind you that, that fits this description. Maybe someone to your right or to your left. It could be somebody that rode in the car with you to get here today. And, you know, there is a possibility that this message is sent from heaven for your life today. So I want to ask you, open your heart and receive what it is God might want to say to you as we look into the Scriptures today and address this particular subject. Now, I have a separate message that gives what I call the primary answer to this issue of why there are so many defeated, discouraged Christians today. In Isaiah 61, we see that there's a prophetic picture of the coming ministry of Christ. Where it's defining and describing that Jesus would be coming, and it, 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 it lists there His job description where God sent Him with an assignment, and in that assignment, Jesus came to save us, to heal us, and to set us free. But sadly, and this is someone who's been in a lot of churches, I'm telling you, most churches are designed to help people come into relationship with God so they experience salvation, but many people are never really taught how to live a life uh, of freedom. Many are not ever brought into ministry that teaches them how to experience healing for the wounds that come our way during our lives. And as a result, we live these defeated, less than stellar Christian lives. Well, if we only emphasize salvation, in essence, we cheapen the death of Christ. Because he died to give us more. He paid for more than just salvation. And in no way am I minimizing salvation. I'm just simply saying Jesus wants us to be healed and set free. Now, 
mini-sermon. That's for another day. For today, we're going to take the same subject and address it with three particular reasons why this is true. So here's the question I want to address today. Why are there so many unhappy, unfulfilled Christians attending our churches today? Maybe even many who are here this morning. If you're taking notes, and I think that's a good idea, I'm going to give you three reasons plus a take-home point for each of those reasons And then I'm going to pray for you and we'll be done. Here's the first reason why this is true. We often, as Christians, we often have unrealistic expectations. Now, I am not wanting to uh, uh, lower the bar and, and suggest that a mediocre Christian experience is the goal. Far from it. I want us all to thrive and to excel. But why are we so surprised when hardship, difficulty... Uh, when uh, things are not always breaking our way. And I tell you why, Jesus warned us. If you were to look with me, and why don't we do that, at John 16, verse 33, in John 14, 15, and 16, we see three passages, three chapters that are known as the upper room discourse. This is where Jesus is sitting around the table, uh, and, and this is prior to him going into the garden later to be Uh, uh, in prayer and grieving drops of blood and then leading up to his crucifixion. So still around the table meeting with his closest followers, he ends chapter 16, how we've recorded it in this way. He says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Here on earth. So I've got to ask the question, does that apply to Ocala, Florida? Here on earth, so it would be true for Dallas and Fort Worth where I live, it would be true for you here. Here on earth, you will have, here's the word we don't like, many trials and sorrows. Now, we don't have permission to do so, but if we did, each of us might pick a verse that we would ask God for permission to edit. Can I tweak this just slightly so it sounds better? Now, here's what I would do with this particular verse. It would probably be on my list. I would say, um, here on earth, you will have a few trials and sorrows. Doesn't that just sound more inviting? Here on earth, you will have a few trials and sorrows. And if you really need a specific number, maybe you would just, like Pastor John and I, we're list guys, and so we would do it this way. Here on earth, you will have uh, seven trials and sorrows. And, and in that list, we could just begin to say, okay, that was one. How many of you know when you've had a bad experience, right? When you've had difficulties. We just begin to mark them down and we would begin to celebrate as we got toward the end of that list that all of my trials and sorrows are almost checked off. And then the rest of my life, however long that is, I will be without hardship, without difficulty. Is that realistic? Not at all. And so in His kindness to us, Jesus lovingly warns us, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. And I'm so thankful that doesn't end with a period. It actually has a comma and it continues. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He has had victory over all this hardship. All right. So how does that apply to us? We live between heaven and hell. And that means that from time to time, we're going to have heaven on earth experiences. How many of you know what a heaven on earth experience looks like? Okay, now I'm aware we're in church and I'm not cursing, but listen to me. From time to time, we're going to have hell on earth experiences. 
There are dark days. There are unanswered questions this side of heaven. There are things that happen in our lives that break our hearts. But Jesus said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we need to grasp everything he was telling us. Now what I've discovered and forgot to tell the second service is this, that following Christ is much like when we get married. Let me see if I can compare it for you. On our wedding day, we, we stand before God, a preacher, family, friends, and we exchange vows with somebody that we're truly just getting to know. And up until that point, we have performed really well for them, well enough for a beautiful lady like Bethany to marry a guy like Ed. That's pretty amazing. There's a miracle, right? And there's a lot of guys out here that have had a miracle, see? So we're standing in a church making this covenant and we say we exchange these vows and here's what I want you to know we don't have a clue what we're saying in the good days as well as the bad days in rich times as well as poor times in health and in sickness I make a covenant to remain faithful to you for the rest of my life listen to me we're clueless And it isn't until you're married a couple of years that suddenly you're having a really bad day and you, God reminds you, you made a promise that even in hardship you would be faithful. Listen, the same is true in our relationship with Christ. When we give our lives to Christ, it does not mean that the hardship goes away. It doesn't mean that difficulty will never come our way. But He gives us grace to endure difficult days. And there will be good days as well as bad days. Nobody on his wedding day is thinking about a bad day. But they show up. Nobody on his wedding day or her wedding day is thinking about times when there is no resource. Poor days. Or unhealthy sick days. Listen, our experience is going to run the gamut. We cannot have unrealistic expectations. Now, I have a personal pet peeve. As a matter of fact, if you really get to know me... Uh, I would probably be a pet peeve to you because I have several, to be honest with you. Um, one of mine is this, this entitlement that is rampant in our culture. It drives me nutty. And uh, entitlement is a spirit that governs and influences our thoughts. And one of the things that is uh, prevalent among people today is, hey, you owe me. I deserve um, That's not fair. If she gets that or if he gets that, then I deserve that. It can be in families. It can be in businesses. Listen to me. It can be in churches. It's all over the place. Entitlement. Entitlement is to America today as intolerance was to Nazi Germany. I'm telling you, it is a godless spirit that needs to be removed We need not participate in that way of thinking. It's all about this is not fair. I think it would be brilliant if the local anchor man were to begin the newscast tonight when you turn on the 10 o'clock news and you begin to watch the news. Ladies and gentlemen, this just in. Breaking news, life is not fair. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if they just came out and admitted it? And just acknowledged it for everybody to finally understand. It would be wonderful for parents or even grandparents who missed an opportunity the first time to take a small child, sit that little baby up on their lap, 
hug them dearly, kiss them on the forehead, say sweet things to them, including little honey, darling, precious, whatever nickname we might give that little angel. Here on earth, you're going to experience some difficult days. Kiss them a little bit. And just let them know, hey, in your life, there are many influences. There are parents, there are coaches, there are teachers, there are bosses, there are pastors and youth ministers and other leaders, and they're all going to have suggestions and rules, in essence, for you to live by or to play by. And you need to do your very best to do everything they encourage you to do. But even if you do exactly what you're asked, listen, buddy, (laughs) from time to time, you are going to get hosed. (laughs) That's the reality. And the reason is life's not fair. Now, darling, put on your helmet and go play because life is tough. We need to do that, don't we? And you know what? Some of us need to sit in God's lap and let Him say the same thing to us. We need to be reminded that life is not fair. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Fairness is a Western culture value, not a biblical value. Fairness is a Western culture value, but it is not to be found in the Bible. If fairness was biblical, I can think of a number of people, I'm going to list a few, that would have an argument or a beef with God. In the Old Testament, here are some names that come to mind. Now, there are stories with all of these. If you've been in church, you know the stories. If you've not been in church, I encourage you to go do some exploration this week and find out details here. But look up the life of Joseph. Was his experience fair? Can I just say no? Moses never got to enter the promised land. Was his experience fair? Not at all. And there are people in the Bible, in in the Old Testament, the book of Job. Did Job have a fair experience? And then there is someone that uh, was known as the weeping prophet, the book of Jeremiah. Can I just suggest to you, I think it's important for all of us to on a daily basis read the Bible. To, to study and to know God through learning the Scriptures and applying the Scripture to our life. But if you've never had that as a practice in your life and you determine based on this encouragement that you're going to do so, please don't start with the book of Jeremiah, okay? <laughs> there are just better places to start. I think you'll stay with it longer if, if you'll look somewhere other than Jeremiah. It's a depressing book. All right? So we've got all of these examples from the Old Testament. Life is not fair. Switching over to the New Testament, I'll just give you two. One, uh, the Apostle Paul. He was credited with writing 13 of 27 New Testament books. Now, I'm not a math major, but that's pretty close to half the New Testament. He, he, uh, uh, after giving his life to Christ and becoming a Christ follower, there are several stories in the Bible Uh, about his life. And I want you to ask yourself as you uh, are reminded of these, if these were fair. He was twice beaten within an inch of his life. He was shipwrecked on two occasions that we see recorded in the Bible. He was imprisoned. He was snake bitten. He was often hungry. That's Paul. So if you could excuse all of the examples, the four Old Testament, this one from the New Testament, I believe I can trump you. How about the ultimate example, Jesus? Is life fair? Jesus, perfect, sinless, 
Son of God, died a cruel, painful death by crucifixion on a cross to pay not for his sin, but for our sin. Let me ask you again, is life fair? Not at all. And the expectations we have sometimes are unrealistic. Jesus said, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. So the take-home point for this first reason that we struggle to have happy lives is very simple. Sooner or later, as Christians, we're going to have to read and apply the Bible to our lives. (laughs) We're going to have to read and apply the Bible to our lives, which makes room for both sunshine and rain. For good days and bad, we need to calibrate our thinking and have realistic uh, expectations. Here's the second reason so many Christians live defeated lives. We focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. We focus on what's missing rather than what's present. We miss out on seeing all that God has blessed us with because we're focused on the few things that have not been done for us just yet. Oh my, what a bad way to live. Now, Paul, we mentioned earlier, I'd ask you to turn to Philippians 4. So go there with me now, Philippians 4. By the way, richest chapter in the Bible. Beginning to end, you could preach on every verse. It's just an amazing, amazing chapter. But we're going to look starting at verse 8. Paul writes these words. And as, as you listen to this verse, you might think, Paul must have just returned from uh, a Zig Ziglar Power of Positive Thinking seminar. Here's what he said. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He is teaching us to focus on what's present rather than what's missing. Focus on the good in life, not what is missing or what is out of order. And the reason this principle works is you give power to what you focus upon. You enlarge, you magnify, you increase what you stare at. And if all you do is spend time focused on what's not there, you're going to live a discouraged, defeated life. Doesn't that make sense? And yet if we're not careful, we can easily fall to this, this, ease, this trap of the enemy. This, listen, this principle, if applied fully, will save a marriage in this room today. If we'll focus on what's present, I mean, ask God, Lord, it might be difficult, but I want you to help me to see good qualities in my husband, good qualities in my wife. This will help you in your relationship with your children, whether they're still at home or they're grown. Focus on the good, commend, compliment, recognize the good. This will help you in your work. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do. Listen to me. It'll help you here at Meadowbrook Church. You have so much to celebrate, but do not get nitpicky and pick on a few things that are out of order and lose your joy because everything's not the way you would do it. So where did all this begin? How long has this been around? I will tell you, this is not a new struggle. And I believe what we're talking about, loss of perspective, is what led to the original sin. So we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. So we get through one chapter in the Bible and we're already sinning. Isn't this amazing? 
So God has created at this point Adam and Eve, and He has put them in a lavish, extravagant, amazing garden. Have you ever just pondered what the Garden of Eden must have looked like? This unbelievably magnificent garden, and He says, all of this is yours. And in my way of seeing this, I see God with a big smile when He's telling them what all is available to them. And then He says, oh, one thing, one thing. Don't eat the fruit from the one tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But everything else is yours. Now, he said, don't eat the fruit from the one tree. The enemy came and began to badger Adam and Eve. And he told them, he expanded on what God said. He added to, he twisted and distorted and, 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 and brought confusion. He said, don't touch it or eat it lest you die. And listen to me. God said, don't eat the fruit from that tree. They could have literally plucked the fruit out of the tree, (laughs) juggled it, grabbed their baseball mitts and played catch. They could have gotten vines and swung in the tree. They could have built a tree house in the tree and had a great time there. God said, don't eat the fruit from this one tree. So what did they do? They focused on the one thing that was not available to them. And as we hear what they did, by the way, it led to sin and separation from God. And, and we hear this story and literally we just shake our heads and we think, how on earth could they be so foolish? What were they thinking? And what I want to suggest is we need to get a mirror because we do the same thing. We often focus on what's missing and we fall to the oldest trap of the enemy. We allow him to distort and rather than focusing on the beauty of our relationship with our spouse or the good qualities in our children, we seemingly nitpick and only see the dark side and it leads to an unhappy and miserable life for us and all those around us continuing um, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of just a, <laughs> a few years ago when we had just in October given everything in our savings account to a building fund. Has anybody just ever radically obeyed God and just all of a sudden you're broke? It's a good thing because it shows our true dependence on God. But we had told our children who were much younger at the time, this is several years ago, Christmas is going to be different than most Christmases, so make your list, but we're going to get you just a few things. And although we had warned them, In this world, you will have many trials, right? We warned them on Christmas morning. I'll never forget my youngest son. After he opened his third and final gift, he stood up in his beautiful little pajamas and he shrugged his shoulders and he said, Hey, Dad, is that all? I think it's funny. I'm just saying. I thought it was cute. Listen to me. When he did that, I immediately felt the Lord speak to me that that is how we often relate to him. We put our little list together. Listen, here's how I would tell you this. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus to whom we write our wish list and petition Him to to just check everything off. And even after He's blessed and blessed and blessed and many things are coming off that list, we keep staring at the few things God has not done as if we're smarter than God. And we're wondering when He's going to come through. We have our shoulder shrugged saying, is that all, God? Listen, that is a very ungrateful way for us to live. God God is not a cosmic Santa Claus, nor is prayer a a, a lamp that we rub hoping that genie God might pop out and grant us our wishes. So when we live this way, we live 
ungrateful lives. And this is not a rebuke. This is so much an encouragement for us to alter and to shift the way we perceive things in our relationship with God. Uh, Philippians 4, we read verse 8 a moment ago. Skip down to verse 11. We're going to read just a few verses together. Paul writing, he says, I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor and I know how to live when there is plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens, when I have enough to eat and when I go hungry, when I have more than I need and when I don't have uh, enough. Here's the secret, he says. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you know in John 15 we learn, apart from me, you can do nothing? Here we see, I can do all things through Christ. So the key is with Christ, right? We can have a joyful life if we focus on the appropriate things. Now, the take-home point for this second reason, then we'll look at the third and be done. Take-home point for the second reason, satisfaction, appreciation, and gratitude are learned behaviors. In other words, these do not come naturally to us. We must uh, grow and cultivate these behaviors in our lives. By an act of our will, we make choices to do things the way God would want us to do them. Now, here's the third reason that so many people who know Christ are singing the blues. The third reason, we have believed a lie. And here's the lie, that we need something else in order to be happy. The lie says we need something else, and it could be many different things for many different people. Let me do this. I want to define for you what I mean by happiness. I'm not referring to some giddy emotional high, some little feeling. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. So defined, happiness is living free of fear and anxiety, of hurry, worry, insecurity, and performance. Now I'm going to read that again and then tell you something related to it. Happiness is living free of fear and anxiety, living free of hurry and worry, living free of insecurity, free of that performance-based living. Now, I would love to tell you, I was down at a local Christian bookstore. I came across a great book, and in that book, I found this amazing picture of what true happiness looks like. Can I just confess to everyone here The reason I know those six things are obstacles is because I have personally struggled with every one of them, some recently. And it is likely that as you review that list, that many of you struggle with some of those obstacles too. And what I want to tell you by way of testimony is it is possible to be completely happy and completely fulfilled uh, by getting past these prevent. Uh, preventers of of happiness. Now, uh, many people delay their happiness. By delaying happiness, we'll say things like, I'll be happy when, and then it's a fill in the blank. Maybe it's when I get married. Maybe it's when my spouse gets his or her act together. Maybe it is when we have children. That'll do the trick. I'll be happy when they're no longer teenagers. I'll be happy when our kids move out of the house and get married. Then it'll be uh, even further into the future. I'll be happy when we become grandparents. I'll be happy when my inheritance comes. 
See, on and on, the, the, the danger of living in this way is that happiness is always just out of reach. It's always just around the corner. It's always just a little bit further down the road. But we come to the end of our lives and we've never enjoyed life. We've never enjoyed living. We've never really experienced the joyful Lord that, the, uh, the, that God wants to uh, uh, present to us. We've never experienced it fully. Um, as a pastor, I have a, a great opportunity on a regular basis to counsel people in my office and uh, I never get tired of that. And by the way, if you're wondering, I have no wisdom for anyone short of the Word of God. Amen. And, and I would suggest nobody else does either. Some people might think they do, but their suggestions, their ideas, if it's not grounded in God's Word, we're really not going to help anyone. But God's Word is full of, of answers for whatever we might face in life. So I have the privilege, and people come in, and, and they begin to unpack what's going on in their life. And, and um, as we walk into those, I find that there is a list of common things. I mean, over 30 years of ministry, I've compiled just a short list of things that people believe. If I had this, I could be happy. So let me share that list with you. And by the way, none of these are bad. It would be my desire that everything I'm about to say is already true for your life. I I pray everything here is something you already have. But if you don't have one of these things, you can still be happy. Do you see what I'm saying? So here are the common things that people come to counseling for. Uh, They might say, uh, I need help with my marriage. If I had a great marriage, then I could be happy. It could be if I had my health. And my goodness, I want to pray for people to be uh, healed. But if a person chooses, they can be happy in spite of whatever illness they're walking through. Hasn't it been amazing? And we seem to know because there's so few. If somebody has struggled with an illness and we still see the joy of the Lord on them. It's an amazing thing to watch. So it is possible. It could be that a a mom would say, if my kids were obedient, I know I could be happy. It's okay to say amen, mama, right? It could be somebody would say, if I had a better job, I could be happy. Or maybe in this economy, a job, period, I would be happy. Somebody might uh, declare tonight, this morning that... um, if I, if I was recognized for the great job that I'm already doing, that would really do the trick. I could be happy. But without question, all of those pale in comparison to the one thing that most people believe, if this were true in their life, they could really, really be happy. So let me tell you a story, uh, and we'll see if you can figure out what this is. Watching several years ago an episode of the great television show, The Family Feud. Anybody ever watched The Family Feud? All right, thank you. I have a few friends here that like that one. So in the family feud, let's picture for a moment, on one side is the Smith family, on the other side, the Jones family. And there were 100 people surveyed, right? And how many top five answers on the board, right? You've seen this. So here's the question they asked Mr. Smith and Miss Jones. What one thing would it take to make you happy? Miss Jones almost broke her wrist. She knew the answer. She was so excited to just declare it. Now, what was her answer? Did y'all see that show? (laughs) See, honestly, the reason we know the answer is because we believe that that would do the trick for us. So um, if you're curious, 75 out of 100 people said money. And I believe personally that the other 25 upon seeing the right answer said, rats, I missed it, right? All the others just had two or three 
most people would believe that if I had more money, that would do the trick. I could be happy. So anytime we have a belief system, we need to measure it against what God's Word has to say. We can do that easily by looking at Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 and 11. And there, who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Now, did Solomon have money or not have money? See, according to the Bible, he was the wealthiest man in Scripture. There's no uh, reference to anyone ever having more than what he possessed. So from a wealthy man's perspective, he writes this, and I want us to listen. He says, oh, the foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The person who loves money will never have enough. The more you have, the more you spend right up to the limits of your income. So according to God's word, not our mindset, but according to what we just read in the Bible, does money truly make us happy? Thank you, church, for your good church answer. Let me ask you another question. How many of you here at Meadowbrook Church this morning would like to give it the old college try? Somebody. Are there a few? I just want to see if that would work for me. I believe I could be the exception to that rule. Well, uh, 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the root, the foundation for all sorts of evil. Let me ask you this. Is money bad? Not at all. Money is neutral. Money is essential to pay our bills, to eat food. It is essential to support great ministries like the ministry of this church. But you can love money whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. And I've been taught that it's okay for you to have money, but it is never okay for money to have you. Now, one last reference to money, and then we'll be closing the sermon. In Acts 20, verse 35, Paul quotes Jesus. Pretty reliable source, would you agree? And here's what Jesus said there. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you're curious, the Frito Bandito did not come up with that. That was Jesus, right? See, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can I just encourage you, from what I know of this church, this is a good place to steward your resources. I want to encourage you to be generous in supporting the ministry of this church because people's needs will be met. People will be ministered to and helped. In addition to supporting a great ministry like Meadowbrook Church, I want to encourage you personally to be generous toward people in need. Look for people who, who are less fortunate. Look for a single mom. Look for someone who could really be blessed by your generosity. When you go out to eat today, buy the meal of a family that looks like they don't have much. Can I just say, it's one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do. Be generous. As we close this morning, third and final take-home point for this message, we must realize that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have everything we need to be happy and fulfilled. We really don't need anything else. John 10.10 tells us that both God and Satan have a plan and a purpose for our lives. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come to offer you an abundant life, a life full of joy. And here's the best news of all. We literally get to choose happiness or misery. We get to choose, according to the final passage we're going to look at here in Deuteronomy, we get to choose life or death. 
Now, I'd ask you to put a marker at Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, and look there with me, and we'll be done. Today, God says, I've given you the choice between life and death. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. God pleads with us, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your children might live. Listen, parents and grandparents, the choice is you're making impact the next generation. And he continues, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying Him, and by committing yourself firmly and completely to Him. This is the key to your life. This is the key, church, to your happiness and to your joy. Now, in a great movie, Braveheart, anybody see the movie Braveheart? What? First, shame on you. It had really bad language. No, just kidding. Great movie. Excellent movie. Toward the end of the movie, the king's daughter appeals to William Wallace. She comes to him and she says, renounce your beliefs so that you can spare your life. And he said this. It's probably one of the most remarkable uh, statements ever. He said, every man lives, but not every man. Excuse me. I botched that. I'm going to do better. You ready? Let me back up. He said, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Every one of us are going to die, but how many of us prior to our death are truly living? Church, are you truly living? I want to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for you, and I want to give you an opportunity to do something this morning. We're done, but I want to ask you to respond to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to your life today. In, in regard to these three reasons that prevent us from living the joyful lives that God intends, what response do you need to make? I'm going to pray for you, and then there will be altar ministries uh, available for those that would respond and, and desire for someone to agree with you on something God's shown you this morning. So join me in praying. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us. Lord, thank you for this amazing church. Lord, thank you for these incredible people. Lord, I pray for guests. I pray for members. I pray for those who already have a relationship with Jesus and those who are exploring uh, a relationship with you, that we would respond this morning to the message and that, Lord, you would do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Lord, we pray for those who struggle with unrealistic expectations. Lord, we pray for those who are focused on what's missing rather than what's present, Lord. For those of us who believe a lie that we need something else, Lord, today we just declare, if we have a relationship with you, Lord, we have everything we need. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never given his life or her life to Christ, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them to come and pray with someone at our altar. Lord, if there's others who need to just talk to someone about what God is, what you're saying to them right now, Lord, I pray that we would respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, thank you for letting me share with you this morning. It's been a great privilege. Have a great week. God's best to you.